If you want to know how to reach more people on YouTube, my job is taking the content they want to create and package it in a way so it reaches 10x more people. And what content is really moving the needle? We've been doing variations of that format again and again since then. And that really skyrocketed the channel. Then you'll want to take note as Jeremy Mary has over 60 million YouTube views attributed to his strategies. He's done this with some of the biggest content creators, including Tom Bilyeu, My First Million, Noah Kagan, and Jordan Peterson. So let's dive in. Jeremy, you've worked with some people that are quote unquote household names in the content marketing business world. What have you done with these big creators? The term I use is packaging. My job is taking the content they want to create and package it in a way so it reaches 10x more people. Mm. I focus on YouTube specifically. And so for YouTube, a lot of that is title and thumbnails. And then at a deeper level, it's how do we edit this video so that it retains viewer retention to the end? And how, how do we package this content in a compelling manner so that someone is going to want to click it first of all, and then is going to want to watch the whole thing. Would someone consider you like the producer of that show or that channel or that video? With Noah, I'm the new term I'm using is creative director. It's a I little like it. more, it's really, I think it's the best term. So producer per se is like, oh, uh, here's an idea, make it happen. Or it's, so what, with Noah, I'm a little more involved where I come up with like video ideas, go through like the strategic analysis of which videos we should do or not, decide with Noah, like which one we should do. And then I go and do all the actual production part, right? Which is like planning it, scheduling interviews, scheduling shoots making sure we have a good videographer. And then does the post, right? Which is once we have all that footage, working with the editor to create a story around it. And then the actual packaging, working with the thumbnail designer to come up with like a kick-ass thumbnail. Like how are we going to title this video? And how are we going to package it? So it just reaches the most amount of people. And a lot of the packaging actually happens before the video ever happens. And before we actually decide to make a video, because like a one... It's like a key thing that I've learned over like the last two years is that it's like, if you don't have a banger title or a thumbnail, even if the idea of the video sounds cool, if you can't come up with like a good title and thumbnail, like a lot of times not worth making that video. So you'd cut your losses early. If Would you say making a thumbnail in a really click worthy title, is that a, an art, a science or both? That's a great question. I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think it's still more art than science, but science is definitely useful in it. The, the reason I say that is the micro changes when it comes to a title make like a huge difference. Yeah. So are you writing the title b before you guys create the video? Yes, in an ideal scenario, that's what's happening. Like a lot of times what you plan out for the video to be doesn't end up being the video because there's like outside factors, right? And so sometimes you have to rework the titles, but in the ideal scenario, you're writing the title before. And the way you do that is you're, it's like a brainstorm, right? I'm just in a Google doc and I'm like typing titles and I come up with like 50 titles maybe. And it's, as you're writing titles and you're just like brainstorming, there'll be one that hits you, right? And then you're like, like three other title variations from that title will come out. And at the end of this process, 30 minutes, an hour brainstorming, you go back and you like look at your favorite titles. And like I said, you iterate on those and you like keep in total, you have something that's, you have two or three titles where you're like, these are really strong. And then at that point I get external feedback 
that's really helpful as well, just to gauge it's not just a banger title for me, but that's like, it works where it, it gets that same emotion from other people that are in this space. I think that's yeah, important yeah. to get feedback from people that understand clickability. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We do something similar internal where like copywriters that are coming up with the titles, they actually come up with a list of options posted in a Slack channel and all the other people come in and comment on their titles. Change mm -hmm. this. I like number one, but maybe tweak this. Cause I think once you're in there, you get blind a little bit. So it's like when you're writing a story or something, right? You, you can lose the details because you're like so in the weeds to, to what it is. It, one thing, like an idea I've had in my head for a long time, at least for, you know, two or three years is that you shouldn't necessarily follow your passion when it comes to content. There's actually a mix of following your passion plus, I think maybe even more important, following the data on what's actually performing. And I get a lot of pushback when I make comments like this. You should follow the data, not your passion. I'm curious if you've, in the past years that you've been helping other creators pump out a lot of great content. I know you've got videos with hundreds of thousands of views. Do you have any over a million at this point? Yeah, yeah. We, I know his channel, we have a couple that have reached like a couple million views, yeah. What's your thoughts on that comment? With Noah, we actually made a significant shift about a year, a little over a year ago. We used to do mostly business sit-down videos, which like I guess in the industry people call talking heads, right? It was like Noah sitting down discussing a business topic. By a year ago, we experimented with a more, I guess, ent entertainment format where it was like Noah go. I think the first video we did was like knocking on millionaires doors. Like the video title was asking millionaires how to make a million dollars. And so he was like going in his like a wealthy neighborhood. And it was like knocking on doors and just like asking for business advice. And that that knocked out of the park. It was like a higher effort video. Not something that we necessarily would have done, but it basically ended up being a million view plus video. Noah's always been big on like 10xing on what works, find what works, 10x on it. From there, we were like, let's try this again. And it worked again. And so we've been doing variations of that format again and again since then. And that really skyrocketed the channel, like the growth of the channel. Was he over the top, like thrilled to just knock on all these doors and talk to all these random strangers <laughs> and he was in love with it or he was like, hey, this is working. It doesn't matter if I'm in love with it. Let's do what's working. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of both. I think it was fun for him, but it was like definitely higher effort. And it's something that like, I think I, we really had to, I really had to show him the numbers and be like, hey, like this is, this is getting exponentially more views because before we used to put out three videos a week. And then we scaled back to two videos a month. Basically the effort for six videos, we're putting that into one video. And so I think there's also something about like, oh, like putting stuff less frequently, it felt a little off. And, but once we looked at the number, we were like, yeah, this is clear. Like our goal for the year is to reach 500,000 subscribers. We started the year around 200 and we were, it was clear that that was the strategy to reach the goal. But that, before, before we recorded, I told you there's a curveball where a couple, Actually, last week we had the chat with Noah about reintegrating some of those, the old school kind of business videos. Because what happened now is, okay, we're on target to hitting the goal by the end of the year. These videos are great. And I think the format of this video is great because it's like reaches a larger audience, right? Like when you have, you're doing like hardcore Alex Hermosi, like in-depth, like business videos, it's only going to reach a certain amount, like a certain audience. 
but with the more entertaining, like you could call it like Mr. Beastie, Mr. Beast videos, right? Um, no, no, I like Mr. Beastie. Let's roll with that. <laughs> Mr. Beastie. <laughs> then your, yeah, it expands the pie. It expands the market for the video. But now we're going, now we're thinking of going back and like int- reintroducing some of those more tactical videos. And I think, so I think what I'm trying to say is that I think there's a role for both, right? And there's a place for both. And it really depends what your goals are. If your goals are like growth, yeah, look at what works, double down on that. But a lot of times there's an other subset of video, more about like more practical. It's like, oh, it's like these are videos that like the hardcore fans are going to watch and are actually going to start business businesses from. It's not just like inspiration or entertainment. And yeah. So I don't could, know could you morph those in any way? Could there be like a scenario where you have this hybrid of this entertainment style stuff mixed with this more like practical talking head? Do you see any way to combine that? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And so one of the videos we had on the channel, which was that is like starting, starting a million dollar business in 24 hours where you're actually starting a business. So there's like an educational component and yeah, it's like you're watching a show, but you're still learning. But even those videos, it's like you're, the thing is like the, the market for beginner video is always going to be bigger versus a more advanced. So it, it really depends what your goal is with a certain video. Is it to drive subscribers? Is it to purely educate like your diehard fans? And when you guys are strategizing, creating these videos, putting all this effort into producing content, what specific metrics factor into the decisions you make on the type of content that should be created, how it should be positioned? Like, what are you looking at in the back end of YouTube Studio? Yeah. So number one is always views. So views is always, oh, it's like, how successful is this video? Uh, We look at views, right? And is this format something we want to do again? You look at like views first, but then there's the inputs into that views, right? Which are the controllable metrics. And for those, there's two that we really look at. And it's like uh, click-through rate. Is your concept enticing enough that people want to click and that people want to click on your video more than on other videos. In in concept, you mean the pair of the thumbnail and the title. Is that concept that you crafted? Is that what you're saying? So I think even beyond that is the video idea. And I think that's what some people overlook a lot of times is like, oh, there's like title, like optimizing your title and thumbnail. Even more important than those two, it's almost like a pyramid at the top is like the video idea. Because if you have a bad video idea, your title and thumbnail, it's going to be hard to make them very compelling. Most people don't spend enough time on video ideas. I think it's like something that's crucial. But yeah, so video ideas. And then can you come up with a compelling title and thumbnail? And then, so that's CTR is one metric. And then the second one is retention, which is like what percentage of your video are people watching? We've actually been focusing more on APV, average percentage views. I think BD is, is great. But APV for a certain length of video is what we look at. So, so that for those not as savvy, average percentage viewed versus average view duration, correct? Yes. Yeah, thanks for breaking that down. And yeah, you can have a 10-minute video that has like a good APV versus a 20-minute video. The AVD, the average view duration is obviously going to be longer on, on the one that's 20 minutes. But that doesn't mean that it's a, it has better retention, right? So comparing APV across different videos that have the same length is how we'd look at the success of that metric for a given video. If, you, if you're comparing three videos, one of them is 20% lower than the other two, like what typically caused a video not to do good? 
Where do you see it going wrong when your APV is not good? I think it's just like mistakes in the edits when I'm reviewing an edit and it's, it's where are you getting bored in your edit? We do between five and 10 revisions on each video. And then we'll do that in frame.io and just leave a bunch of comments and cut a bunch of stuff, reintroduce a bunch of stuff. It's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle, right? And each time, each time we're doing an edit, at what point do I get bored? And then mm -hmm. I ask myself, like, why am I getting bored? Is this something we have to cut? Is this something we have to like package it a little better, like adding some B-roll, adding some kind of like graphic on screen? So I think boredom is a great metric for kind of judging like, um, like why is like, why is retention not good? And that's something you can do before publishing a video. But like once the video is published, maybe it's something that you hadn't noticed before, right? And if your retention, if your APB is low, then you have to look at like that, that retention graph and see, well, where is there a dip on this chart? And like, why is there a dip? Because something it like, it might not be something that you caught earlier, but then it's like that homework of figuring out like, why did the viewer get bored around here? And does that differ? So I know like, Primarily, we've been talking about the content you do with Noah Kagan, which is more that like educational, more like traditional YouTube content, mm -hmm. but you're also working with some people that are podcasters, right? That have video podcasts and they're putting that on YouTube. Do these metrics or like what you look at or what you monitor or, or how you judge a video success, do those metrics differ between these two different concepts of videos? Yeah. So I think with the more let's distinguish we'll say youtube videos versus the video podcasts right yep. i think with the youtube videos you have way more control on the actual retention right for podcasts a lot of the retention is going to depend on the questions you ask and it's like less controllable in the post-production like in the edit right so i would actually say with a lot of my like the po the podcast clients i work on youtube with, i actually don't have as much control on retention and i basically try to help as much as I can with the actual packaging, like the click-through rate. If we look at My First Million, I'm a fan of that show. And I was listening on Spotify, which you don't do anything with the audio side of it, do you? So I was listening on Spotify. I listened to it there. It was a good episode. It was the most recent one with Steph, if I can't remember her last name, but mm -hmm. that lady. Steph yep, Steph, yeah, <laughs> Steph Swift. And then I listened to it again on YouTube and the structure on YouTube of the video was completely different. How it started out, they essentially teed up the episode mm. and they were talking about something and you had took something that was at the very end and put it towards the very beginning. And so it was kind of like shuffling around of pieces. Is that yeah. something you commonly do? Yeah, yeah. And it, and I think it depends a lot on like how much the creators are willing to alter the format, right? That that's, we don't, we actually don't do that too often, but like for this one, it just made a lot of sense. A little backstory on that. I think, I think what happened is that I, I figured out like there was like one big angle for the episode. I forget what the title was. I think it was around, um, I think it was business ideas. And that's a format that just t tends to do well on the show that's been proven. And I think the topic that the, the natural episode had started with was, it was a little less. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. At least on Spotify, the it might the title might be different on YouTube, but on Spotify, it was Steph Smith on anti-cheat businesses, ethical hackers, and five business ideas with high demand and low supply. Yeah, so even in that title, it, the title was different on YouTube, right? Even that title, you can see the structure, right? And the business ideas was at the end. Yeah, I think on Spotify, right? Yep. And what I did is because that that I knew is was the angle that was going to perform the best 
on YouTube, I decided to, first of all, use that angle as a title. So that's how we start. And then I was like, speaking of retention, if you have in the title, like four best business ideas or something like that, but th that topic doesn't come up until the end, a lot of users are like very likely to drop. So I think I negotiated with a producer if we could put that at the beginning. So it's like for YouTube, like I think what I love to do is so someone clicks on a title and thumbnail and they're like directly served exactly what you promised them in that title and thumbnail. And a lot of times we just do that with the hook, right? Where it's like, we'll take like 30 second, like a 30 second teaser from later in the episode. And that's exactly where I'm going to write the title and thumbnail against, right? Is that hook that I select. So it's like, yep, you click the title and thumbnail and it's like immediately you're like rewarded with, oh, okay, I'm going to get this in this episode. I can keep watching it. What, just a um, random idea. Uh, tell me what you think about how. Would this have a positive impact or negative impact? So you talk about putting the teaser or the hook, right? That that 20 to 30 second clip from somewhere in the episode, putting it at the beginning. What if when you played that hook, what if you almost put like a visual timestamp on where that was in the video? Do you think that would have a positive or negative impact on the video? That's a good question. I think I think a lot of people would actually skip if you have that. Not to say that they wouldn't if you don't have that, because we actually have we have timestamps, right? We have timestamps. You can see actually the retention. A lot of times, people will jump like it will be a spike like yeah. around the topic that we promised in the title, and so people will find that using the show notes. I think if you actually put it on screen, probably more people would do that, and I think your retention would probably go down a little bit. So I personally wouldn't do that. I think because we, I there's also the question like this is. It's like, oh, should you put timestamps in your like podcast or not? It's like a debate that some people have. And I always think, I always argue then yes. And a lot of times it will actually reduce retention in the short run. But long term, it's increasing the viewer experience. I'm just like, I'm a, a consumer of podcasts as well. I use YouTube a lot for to listen to podcasts. And I know that's like, I'm way more likely to listen to a show long term and to listen to more episodes over time when there's timestamps because... It's just like way easier to get what I want. And so I think even though the short-term effect might be that like retention is going to be slightly lower because people are like skipping around more, long-term, they'll be more likely to come back. And that's something, that's a choice that we had made back at Impact Theory. And it's what I recommend most of my podcast clients do as well. I think in a lot of times it can save someone from leaving a video. If someone is yeah. like watching the video and they're like, oh shit, this is getting bored. Let me check out what's coming up by just hovering along the timeline and, oh, this looked interesting. I'm just going to skip to this. So I think there's probably a case for both. And the only reason I was saying like it, it, it might lead to lower retention is because we actually tested it like using TubeBuddy. That's what back at Impact Theory, we, te we ran a couple tests and it was like, oh, on average, retention is actually lower when we do include timestamps. Mm. But even knowing that data, we chose to include them because it just felt like the right thing to do as far as like user experience, right? And long-term like listener or viewer satisfaction. And when you get back to the metrics thing on, on YouTube content versus video podcast, like is there anything else that you look to differentiate between those, like in terms of what makes a successful video? Yeah. So I think, I think for succeeding as a podcast on YouTube, there's a couple of things that matter. And I think the biggest decision you can make is which guests you bring on. If you're able to bring on like names or even beyond the name, like 
someone that has a story with an interesting angle you can use in the title. When you were describing the YouTube video, right? You said, actually, the most important thing is the video idea. Would you say this is like the video idea yes. of a video podcast? You put it beautifully. The guest is the video idea of your YouTube podcast. And then yep. beyond that is, oh, you have your guest. If it's not like a brand name, right? There's going to be like people that are recognizable, which we have a lot on like My First Million. But like beyond that, if it's not a brand name, it doesn't mean it's a bad guess. But like similarly to like with the video idea, you only want to make that video if you can come up with a good title, regardless of like how interesting that idea sounds, regardless of like how interesting your guest is, you want to be able to come up with, like, hey, what's the title of his life? What's the title of that episode? Okay, so back to that question, guest selection. Another thing that I think is not well executed by most people yet is like the hook. I think there's levels to the hook, right? And it's also, it all depends like how much, like how much effort you're willing to put into it. And I think a great channel to look at and the people that are executing it beautifully is Colin Samir. And if you go look at their, if you go look at their episodes, they bring on guests and Dole, right? Like a, they'll script like a 30 second to a minute hook where it's, it's custom there, but it includes some snippets from the episode itself. And like a lot of it's highly edited. They'll add like a lot of B-rolls. And so it's like, they're reading the intro for the guests and then they're showing previews from the podcast integrated into that. And it's just like, it's just really well done. And I think that's the future of what hooks are going to look like on, on podcasts. Because if you're able to, if you're like, it's similar to shorter format, if you're able to sell the viewer in the first minute on the guest and it, himself from the fact that it's like, oh, they're going to get value from this interview, that's going to increase retention dramatically because like the viewers just sold on oh i need to watch this to the end there's like a lot of value in here there's also a logistics element right when you're working with yeah. a creator like the creator has to be bought into that idea of putting in that extra work 100 yeah no it's like right now it's not basically it's like a, it's like a lot of work to record those for the creator themselves and the people i'm working with at the moment just don't have the desire to do that yep. but that would yeah it's definitely something i've been pushing for one more thing is the questions, right? Because again, it's like CTR retention. So we've talked about CTR, the retention, like number one, like we said, there's the hook, right? Which you can, you have a lot of input, but beyond that, it's the questions you ask and what order you ask them in. And so I think podcasters that are like starting to come on YouTube can make like a big effort as far as like how they're structuring their interview questions and like what they're starting. So. I used to start my podcast with just like the backstory of the person I brought on and just a very linear thing. And now I start the episode, like literally every episode I start with like the juiciest question, which is like, how did you get the job? It's a, it's like a podcast where I interview the people that are working behind the scenes, right? These like big influential creators. And so the first question I always start with now, even the, and I'll warn the guests before they come out, like, Hey, I dive straight into it. Don't think I'm just like glossing over your backstory. But it's like, the first question I start with is, hey, tell me the story of how you landed a job with X. And I start like with the juiciest question because that's what people want to hear. It's like you order it by what's the most relevant for the person that clicked on that title and thumbnail that you you introduced. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of that. Even when we started this interview right here, 
I didn't say, Jeremy, tell me about growing up in France and like your 14 year journey to get to where we are today. It's that's all it's almost in some ways, it's almost like ego stroking. It's tell me like why you're so great. And like the audience, they want to come for a very specific thing. And it's not to hear about like the guest's life journey. So I think as a host, you should always try to like condense that as much as possible. Still put your guest on the pedestal they deserve to be on. Like I introduced you, I talked about like the people you've worked with, like in this short period of time that you've been doing this and that tees you up as, oh, he's worked with these big names. I need my ears perk up. I need to listen like what he says next. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of times that can be accomplished in the hook, like in the custom hook, if you put together a custom hook and it's because I think what you're trying to do in the hook is condense that first 10 minutes of an interview where you'd be talking about someone's background, but you're condensing down to 60 seconds, right? You've sold the viewer on like why they should listen to that, to this. I do think like the background is important still, because otherwise, why should I listen to this interview? But it's just like how you deliver it, like the Delivering it succinctly is way better than delivering that in 10 minutes. Anything that you're paying close attention to in YouTube land right now? YouTube shorts is the obvious answer as far as like what's shifting and what's interesting. When it first started, I was like skeptical about it, right? I was like, oh, it's like they're just copying TikTok and probably, I don't know if it's going to last or whatnot, but more and more it's like they're doing, YouTube is doing a really great job of integrating it on their platform. And it's like, it's clear that now they see this as a long-term uh, strategy and it's like pro- most likely here to stay and that a lot of creators can actually benefit from mixing medium form with short form. I'm not a, for- I'm not a fan of just like purely short form, right? Because at the end of the day, like YouTube is like predominantly like a medium form platform. And so it's like, how do YouTube creators that are creating like medium form to long form like use short form to introduce their channel to a wider audience so that then YouTube serves their medium and long form to the people that found that channel through the short form. I think like YouTube is doing, starting to do a better job of crossing both of those audiences. Does this factor into like how you think about or put together or package a piece of long form content? Can you elaborate that question? Like do you, if you have a channel and they're posting both short form and long form, do they support each other anyway? Or are they just like, independent, distinct pieces of content. With Noah, for example, it's a good example. We like repurpose the long form into short form, right? I don't think that works for everyone. Like we have kind of like the types of videos we've been putting out are like very YouTube-y, right? Entertaining. And so we have this kind of like engaging footage. It's not just like talking at a desk, like talking about like explaining business, like business explainers or stuff like that. And so it's, it's like a very natural transition to convert, to repurpose that in short form. It's been working actually pretty well. Like some of the shorts on YouTube for us have been getting a couple million views. Oh shit. Is that driving um, subs? It's driving subs. Yeah. It's driving subs and revenue, which is interesting. But uh, to answer your question beyond that, like I said, I think the way I would be thinking about shorts is because because I do still think it's like those audiences don't, they're different audiences. So like the way you consume short is like very different. You're going to be on your phone. You're going to be on the shorts tab most of the time, right? And a lot of times those are different consumers and the people that are in your like main feed consuming like medium length platform. I think the hope is that long-term, it's like people that consume shorts also consume some medium length stuff and... I think the hope is like YouTube is like starts cross-pawing both of those, right? So it's like someone finds your short 
and they like it and they've consumed like a couple of them, right? And the retention is good on those shorts. And because of that tells YouTube that they like your channel and someone that might not have seen your medium form content now gets shown your medium form content on their like medium length. And I think the cross pollination between both those audiences, I think is what's interesting long-term. And I know that YouTube is working on, on doing a better job. Of that. Is there any way in the analytics currently that you can see like people is it clear that you can see people coming from shorts to your channel can you see that kind of carryover no. right now no no it's not there's no there's no good data which is this is all hypothetical and most of the stuff is based off of like, i just follow different people that like work at youtube for example see who should people be following if they're super interested in this so this guy todd b i think his handle is at hitsman h-i-t-s-m-a-n he's the on twitter yeah, it's on Twitter. Yeah, he's he's the product lead for YouTube for the YouTube homepage and recommendation. And he actually tweets, and he'll tweet he'll tweet updates, and he'll confirm or deny some of some other tweets that people are talking about. Like people are making assumptions and suggestions about YouTube, and he'll he'll be like, "Oh, I, I like this is actually not correct." And he's a great follow. So you've got your podcast, the backstage careers, any anywhere else people should connect? Yeah, no, that's it. We're on social and like Instagram, Twitter at Jeremy John Mary. Cool. Love it, dude. We'll put it up on the screen down in the show notes. Thanks so much. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. This is fun.